0: Well, we're wrapping up our series on prayer, and and uh, I don't know about you guys, but I, I, I've grown up in church, and so I've seen firsthand my entire life how people get really weird when it comes time to like pray in public. I grew up in a pretty traditional church, and we'd always have one of our ushers or one of our deacons Do the prayer over the offering at the middle of the service. I I heard somebody describe that moment as kind of like the halftime in church. You'd have this amazing worship, halftime for the offertory prayer, and then you'd have the sermon afterward. And and so my grandfather was one of these guys and all these, you know, it was a pretty traditional southern church. And so you see them in the lobby, they'd have a normal conversation. Hey, Nathan, how you doing? Caught any fish lately? You know, et cetera, et cetera. But then when they get behind the podium for the offertory prayer, They would change everything. And I kind of came up with some code names for these different types of prayers that would happen. Like one of them is a name dropper. And in the name droppers, not the sense of, like, they're trying to impress you with who they know. They're just quoting every single description of God that the Bible has to offer. Jehovah Jireh, God of the nations, King of kings, Lord of lords. And it's like, by the time they've got done, they've done the entire roll call in the name of prayer. And it's like, I've never heard you talk like that in the lobby before. Like, what is it about prayer that makes it so weird and awkward? You know, sometimes you've got the people who are, like, worship leaders. Now, how does the band know to like immediately start playing as soon as that prayer is ending. It's almost like they've got this big machine in their ears telling them when to pray. The, pra- the worship leader is like, amen. He is Lord. Like it's perfect. you got to watch those worship leaders. Kate, she's a master. But then you've got the people who turn into like a Shakespearean, King James Version performer when it's time to pray. It's like you're starting to use all these pronouns that aren't even a part of the English language anymore. Our Father who art in heaven Art, as far as I know, is a class that I took at elementary school where I made clay pots and did finger painting. Thee, thine, and thou, kingdom be done. Like, what do these words even mean? What's the difference between thine and thee and thou? Like, granddaddy, you don't talk like that when we're hanging out in your living room. So why do we feel like we've got to get all weird and polished and professional when it comes time for prayer? Like, I don't think God is, is looking for polished and professional prayers as much as he's just looking for real And and personal prayers. The thing that I want us to look at today is we're going to examine a few types of prayer that are listed in the scripture. And these aren't priestly, pastoral prayers. These are just honest, personal prayers where people are getting raw and real before their father in heaven. I want you to think if Jesus kind of came through the, the wall like he did those few days after he rose from the grave, but those 40 days before he floated back up into heaven, if you're studying like the book of Acts and some of the gospel accounts, Jesus would just appear in these upper rooms in their homes. And like, first of all, I would have to like run to the bathroom and, and change my pants. I'd probably have an accident if Jesus appeared through a wall right now. But if Jesus appeared through the wall, I don't think we'd say, well, hello, Mr. Jesus, sir. Like, we don't have that formal relationship. The Bible says that he's like our father. I don't call my father Mr. Dad. I just call him Dad. That's because we have a personal God who's interested in personal prayers. Our our personal God is interested in personal prayers, and I think we've got some false sense of pressure that we place on ourselves when it comes time to pray in public or to pray in front of people that we've got to get all reverent and holy, but what I want to show you is over and over, all throughout scriptures, you see honest, raw, and real, sometimes even people who had the audacity to argue with God in their prayers, but what we see oftentimes is the prayers of people that move the heart of God to move reality around. Because our God likes to show off and, and, and let his people know that he's in control and that he's got it. And there are some things that won't happen in our life unless we are honest and real and, and raw enough to pray about it. So I want to take us all the way back to the Old Testament, to this famous prayer. Somebody wrote a book about it a few years ago. It's called The Prayer of Jabez. It's in First Chronicles. If you don't have your Bible, we're going to have it up on the screen. But you're going to notice this is a prayer that's kind of held up. As, as a classic recorded prayer in our, in our heritage of faith. But not once in this prayer, does Jabez ask for world peace, to help the hungry, to do things that would solve the world's problems. No, this is actually kind of a self-centered prayer that God responds to. So I want us to take a look at this and dissect this prayer a little bit and just kind of see like, what does our prayer life look like as compared to the prayer of Jabez and some other moments throughout scripture. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 10, it says, Jabez called upon the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from harm, so that it might not bring me pain. And God granted what he asked. Now, it's kind of easy to look at them and be like, man, that's kind of a selfish prayer. It's a lot of me, 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 help me, help me, help me. I want, I want, I want. And a lot of people in what, uh, in what some pastors have labeled a health and wealth prosperity gospel movement have used this as a reference to, to have a pretty self-centered prayer life where we're kind of bossing God around and telling Him what to do. So the first thing I want to tell you is we are not God. It's not our business to tell God what He should and shouldn't do. But as his children, the same way my kid asked me for a glass of milk or something that's in the fridge, that's the same way we're supposed to look to our father as our provider, as our caretaker, the one who protects us, the one who keeps us. But I'm just telling you, there's nothing in the Bible that says you can declare your illnesses away or declare your bankruptcy away. This is not us telling God what to do. This is us humbling ourselves, recognizing, I'm not smart enough, quick enough, rich enough, strong enough, fast enough to be able to get all my prayers answered on my own so where my energies and efforts fall short, God, will you do what only you could do? There's some things that I need help with in my life, so I'm recognizing you as the author, the perfecter, the finisher of my faith. I'm recognizing that I need you to come through for your glory, not for mine. Anything that I benefit, Lord, from this prayer, I'm going to turn around and use for your glory. That's the type of prayer life that we're talking about. Understanding our own weaknesses, understanding our own inadequacies, and asking God to help us there. So I want to kind of go through this prayer word for word. And, and maybe you can begin to use it like I have as, as kind of a template for the way that I pray. The very first thing he says is, is, is bless me indeed. Now, a lot of times in ancient Hebrew when you would hear this word blessing and it was referred to a blessing that God would give, not like a blessing that a father would give to his son when he becomes an adult or a, or a blessing that, that a father-in-law would give to his, his uh, son-in-law when he takes his, his daughter in marriage. Now, this isn't a blessing that a man can give. This is not an approval. When you're asking God for a blessing, there's, there's an implication with the Hebrew language that blessing is on the other side of obedience. You see, God loves everybody, but he doesn't necessarily bless everybody. So when when Jabez is saying, bless me indeed, there's this presupposition that there's this agreement between Jabez and God that I'm going to live a life that warrants your blessing. I'm going to live a godly life. So simultaneously when you're asking God for a blessing, you're also expressing obedience. You're also expressing commitment. Less of me, more of you. I'm going to... Be generous. I'm going to have a courageous faith. I'm going to be disciplined in my walk with you. When you say left, I'll go left. I'm predetermining now that whatever you ask of me, the answer is yes. And when we have that kind of a mentality that starts on the inside and works its way out, that's the kind of life that God can't help but to bless. So right off the bat, this self-centered prayer is already taking me off a of center stage and putting God front and center and saying, this is all about you. The only reason I want to be blessed is because I want to do things your way. God's way is the best way. Jesus said in in Matthew chapter 6 that if we put God first, everything we're worrying about will find its way into its proper place. He said in 633, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added to you. It's almost similar to the very opening line in the Lord's prayer when Jesus said, Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, you'll be on earth as it is in heaven. So his leading line in this very personal prayer is saying, God, you're the king, I'm not. I'm going to live according to your rules, your regulations, your precepts. And my prayer, my hope is that as I align myself with you, is that I experience the blessing that comes from doing life your way. Then he goes on to say, enlarge my border. Some other translations say, enlarge my territory, enlarge my tents. Basically what he's saying here is, God, I need you to be my provider. I want you as the good, good father up in heaven to never let my pantry run dry. Please make sure that I'm taken care of. I'm trusting in you to be my provider. I'm trusting that if I fall on hard times, that you're going to see me in my moment of need. So expand my territory, provide for me, do what only you can do. What you're seeing here is a father-son reality where the son's expectation for provision, for sustenance, for guidance, for help is all placed on his dad. He goes on to say that your hand might be with me. Anytime you see the hand of God mentioned in Scripture, it's talking about a supernatural power that you can only get from trusting in God. I don't know if you've ever been through a a time of loss or a a time of tragedy where where you're at your wit's end, you've finally found the end of your rope, you've finally found where your strength fails. We're told in other place in Scripture that where we are weak, that's where we're actually strong. Sometimes God authorizes situations to totally deplete us of our strength. So we finally realize that we were never in control to begin with. And so by asking God for his hand of strength is also a recognition of our own limitation and our own weakness. One of the the things that is great about my life and my job, my calling as a pastor is I get to be at people's weddings and I get to visit hospitals when when babies are born. I get to see all kinds of miraculous things. We get to baptize people. We get to see auditoriums filled up with people on Easter and Christmas that only come those two times a year, but a few of them that sticks and they trust Jesus with their life and it gets transformed. We see these mountaintop moments, but there's no shadow without the sunshine. They kind of go hand in hand. So we're also there when, when people pass. We're also there when, when people become ill. We're also there in hospitals and at funerals. And, and just this week, I had some close people in our church. One man had a heart attack, and he's not even that old. We've had another woman lose her son that was in his mid-30s. I preached a funeral of a young man in his early 30s that overdosed on drugs. So I've seen firsthand as I'm preparing this talk about prayer and the supernatural power that can come from prayer, I've seen it work when people realize in their moment of pain how powerless they are. And how a powerful God answers that prayer with His people, wrapping their arms around them and not letting them be alone. How He shows us tangible acts of love through His church, Through small groups, through hospital visits, through just bringing some fried chicken to McDonald's funeral home for the family to take during their visitation hours. The hand of God finds its way to strengthen those who recognize where our own strength is inadequate. So for Jabez to ask for the hand of God to give him power wasn't asking for him to have some boost of status in the kingdom of God. It was actually a recognition of his own weakness. Jabez would go on to say, and that you would keep me from harm. And then he goes on to say that you may not bring me pain. Now here's something that we wouldn't get because we're reading this in the English language. This is the most deeply personal part of Jabez's prayer. You see, if you read the verse before it, they tell the story of how Jabez got his name. In in the ancient Hebrew times, names would be something that were prophetic or something that was uh, describing recent events. So a lot of times they would give a child a name in hopes that this is what this child would, would grow up to be. That's how we named my son Declan a couple years ago when he found out we were pregnant. We started looking online for names. We wanted to find a name that was very meaningful, and we stumbled across Declan. It was a name with Irish origins, which that isn't really the Irish part. That's cool. Our family is like more German than Irish. But we stumbled across this name Declan. I was like, that sounds really cool. I haven't really heard it before. What does it mean? The name means man of prayer. And that really stopped me in my tracks because my entire Christian life, I've always gravitated in my walk with God more towards Scripture. I've got this ADD problem where I kind of see that, oh, there's a color there. Let's examine that color for a minute. I know people are talking to me, but there's this amazing color. Squirrel, you know, like I'm that guy. And so... 'm I'm, uh, I'm reading my Bible and you read the Old Testament you've got war and relationships and and all the different aspects of humanity you read the New Testament you've got the biography of Jesus and the history of the early church so, like I already love history as it is so the Bible has always caught my attention more than prayer and I've never been what you would call a prayer warrior I've always understood the power of prayer but my prayer life uh, up until my, my late 20s was always just Present It wasn't necessarily something that was a great power in, in my life. And so when we named Declan Declan, not only did we hope that it would be a type of man that he would grow into, but Erica and I, we wanted it to be a reminder of the type of people we wanted to be, men and women of prayer. Well, Jabez, his name wasn't so much prophetic as it was accurate to what was happening in his mother's life at that moment. And I imagine that she kind of chose his name while she was in labor because The Bible says that she said, he caused me great pain, so his name will be Jabez. (laughs) Like, that's, Jabez means pain. So, think about what he's saying here. In the Hebrew, Jabez was praying to not have Jabez. Protect me. Keep me from Jabez, that it may not bring me Jabez. See, he recognized the context in which he was conceived and born and brought into this world. He recognized that that pain is a real thing. So this was a deeply personal prayer for him. God, I, I would love to not have to go through that. My namesake is a reminder of the fact that this world has fallen and broken, so please protect me. Now, when you, when you really try to wring that out and, and you get all that just theological, juicy, prayerful goodness, if you're like me, that can kind of make Your own prayer life sometimes feel a little bit like small talk. It's like, well, God, it's breakfast again. Um, I pray you bless this sausage biscuit. Amen. See you at lunch. Like, (laughs) our prayer life is meant to be so much more than that. And just kind of a side note, there's no biblical mandate that we're supposed to pray a blessing over our food. Did you know that? The Hebrew people never asked God to bless their food. They prayed after they ate and they said, thank you, Lord. That was delicious. What if that was the content of our prayer life? What if we stopped asking God for a blessing? Because let's be real. When God created the heavens and the earth in six days and took a break, he said, it is good. So no blessing I can put on my food is going to be greater than what God has already blessed it. When the King of kings and Lord Lords said, it is good, that means it's already blessed. It's not going to be the difference between me getting food poisoning or not. It's certainly not going to help me lose weight. <laughs> so what if my prayers at my mealtime we're like, man, God, this meal that I'm about to eat right now, There's probably more than many people in the entire world are gonna be able to eat in a week. Wow, thank you. Let me use the strength that I get from this meal to live life for your glory. See, when you start looking at all these moments that we can interact with God, there's always a deeper layer that we can dive into to make our prayers more personal, more real, that we can just be who we are. And go deeper and deeper into our connection, and our and our intimacy with God. If your prayer life feels like small talk, like let's be honest about like what small talk really is. Small talk is what you feel obligated to do with that person that you can just barely tolerate. All right, it's like you're at you're at practice again, and your kids are out there on the field playing, and oh, here she comes, that other mom. Oh yeah, cool. What what detergent do you use to get all those stains out? Cool, great. Oh, there's a storm coming. Yeah, it it, it looks like it's going to go a little bit east of us. Okay, cool. All right. see you soon. like, like, but that's kind of the way it is. Sometimes it's like we get to a time of prayer and we don't really know what to pray. We feel like we should. So we just kind of keep it shallow and surface and God wants to go deep. God wants to talk about things that really matter to us. God wants us to bring the things that, that burden us to him, the things that are confusing to him. In the book of James, Chapter 5 is where we're going to go next. It offers us some other subject matter, some other talking points for us to bring to the Lord. And what you're going to see here is it's pretty real, it's pretty raw. But it also encompasses the mountaintop moments, not just the valleys where things are burdensome, but the mountaintops when things are great. What you're going to see is, is God wants us to bring everything to Him. The good and the bad, the light and the dark. The things we are celebrating and the things that are frustrating. God wants us to connect with him over it all. And what we're going to see is just maybe our prayer life is not supposed to be to change the things that are happening in our life as much as they are to change the things that are happening in our heart. (laughs) Maybe it's not about all my circumstances becoming what I prefer But maybe it's God adjusting my heart to give me strength to endure the things that I'm not enjoying right now. What if prayer is not so much about trying to change God's mind, but to change ours and conform our will to his. In James 5 verse 13 it says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now I wanted to leave that verse in the teaching today. I know you don't hear a lot about that. You're like, what kind of oil are we talking about? Peanut oil? I've got a peanut allergy. That's not gonna work, Pastor. No, no, we we as pastors and and, and elders of the church, myself, Brian, Chris Emmett, Randy Onge, and Randy Anji, and our board members, we are so ready and willing and available. To, to, to come visit you if you've got a, an illness that is just uncurable. We've met with people in this church before, laid hands on them, anointed their head with olive oil, and, and prayed over them. That's something that we would be honored to do as some of the pastors of this church is to go to spiritual battle on behalf of you and your family and, and offer up these kind of prayers. But I don't want to so much focus on what we can do as pastors as much give you ammunition and give you some subject matter that can enhance and give you a robust and meaningful prayerful relationship with the Lord. And what it says here, it uses words like, like suffering and cheerful. Two words that are very contradictory. He's saying, if you're suffering from something, pray about it. If you are celebrating something, pray about it. So what he's saying is, it's okay if your prayers feel a bit bipolar. Have you ever read the book of Psalms? I mean, chapter to chapter, God, kill my enemies. They're like dirt. They're scum. Next chapter, God, I love everybody. Everybody can be a part of your family. This man, David, that wrote 90% of the psalm, as far as I can tell, has just about broken every one of the Ten Commandments. But he was also one of the most godly men. He's the only man in all of Scripture that was said to have a heart after the heart of God. And what you see is... Every single emotion that you could have as a human is captured and documented in the poetry, in the book of Psalm. Chapter after chapter, the highs and the lows of humanity bringing it to God. And we never see God correcting David saying, young man, that's out of line. You do not speak to me that way. No. What we see is a God who meets people where they are the good, the bad, and the ugly. He said, you know what? Celebrate and thank me for what I've given you as your heavenly father, but also release and entrust and ask for help. Let me do things in your life that you could never do on your own. So what if our prayer lives got that real and that raw and that ugly? What if they just stopped being small talk, and what if they stopped being last minute emergencies and started being first response when we sense things are a little bit off, or we sense that this relationship is going a little bit off course, or we know that that person that we can barely tolerate is showing up. What if we stopped and said, God, help me not to just tolerate that person, but help me to see them the way that you see them. Help me to have grace for that person. What if we started going to God first instead of last? What if we could offer up more prayers than if just, God, it's the national championship again. And UGA, they've done really well. I'm grateful for that. But, you know, first quarter was great, second quarter. But now at the end of this, it's just not going well. God, for your glory though, right? My football team, for your glory, amen. I don't know if God's interested in who wins a college football championship. I'm not even sure that God was behind you getting that perfect parking lot at Super Kroger. Maybe. It's okay to celebrate that and say, favor, amen, thank you, Lord. But can we go a little bit deeper and realize that that God wants to discuss the things that really matter to you? God wants to be in it all. The Bible tells us that he knows the hairs on your head. He is deeply concerned and interested in the things that are happening in your life. And he wants to be that one-stop shop where you go to celebrate the victories to mourn the losses, and to ask for strength in our times of weakness. If you're suffering, pray about it. If you're cheerful, pray about it. Whatever is happening, pray about it. Because God wants to be right there beside you, helping you navigate through this journey of life. It's so difficult when we try to do it on our own. Guess what? We don't have to hit rock bottom to finally turn to God for help. We don't have to live a reactive prayer life. Oh my gosh, my nightmares become my reality. Where are you, God? Cuz like the same place I was yesterday. I'm here. I'm ready and willing to help. But, but someone told me, but God is a gentleman. He's not going to force himself on you. I believe that there are things that God has authored into our life, but may not happen unless we pray for them. There's a scripture that says you don't have because you don't ask. Yes, our prayer life should be aware of crises that are happening outside of our own comfort zone. Yes, we should pray for our country. Yes, we should pray for the things that are happening in this world that aren't okay. God doesn't want us to miss the things in our own life that aren't firing on all cylinders. He's a a personal God. And he's interested in personal prayers. And he's interested in us being connected throughout the entire day. Not just during a quiet time. Not just before we eat a meal and want to avoid food poisoning. No, God is interested in every detail that we face. And that's why he tells us in certain scriptures to never stop praying. If the book of James wasn't enough, it goes on to say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for Christ Jesus in you. So this is pretty all-encompassing here. He's cast a net over every area of your life. Always be rejoicing, even when you don't feel like it. Rejoice that you're experiencing a moment of weakness because God is about to reveal his strength to you. Rejoice that you're experiencing a moment of sickness because God's about to reveal his healing to you. God allows us to face broken moments so that he can put us back together. And sometimes we're not rejoicing because we're getting what we want. Sometimes we're rejoicing because God can do it. Sometimes our rejoicing has got to be preemptive. But don't miss what he says here in verse 17. Pray without ceasing. I think what he's telling us here is what personal prayer is all about. It means praying what's on your mind when it's on your mind. Now that could make for some really weird moments in your office space, right? Oh God, help me with these expense reports. I waited the last minute again and my boss is really mad. That's passive aggressive. That's not going to change anybody's heart. Don't use your prayers as a sermon for other people. I think what God is saying is just a constant state of connectivity. And guess what? God's not going to do anything that he hasn't given you the skill set to accomplish. Every single one of you have the ability to remain constantly connected to something. Have you ever been in a group text before? We know how to text without ceasing. This is why marketers and advertisers are gravitating toward text messages over emails. Did you know that text messages go 98% opened? 98% of text messages are open and read. 20% of emails are open and read. I'm the type of person, if you email me, I'm either going to respond in four seconds or four years. You know what I mean? Like, I'm only going to respond if I happen to be in my inbox in the moment that email is sent. Email is not a very personal thing. It doesn't encourage dialogue. Marketers are realizing this. You've got people like me who have a separate email address that I never check just to sign up for things where discounts are coming through. Like my Gmail account has got about 5,000 unread emails. That's no problem for me. I don't have a relationship with all these coupon companies. That's just my, that's just a login code for me. I think a lot of us treat our email, uh, our prayer life like we treat our email inbox, only as needed. But what if our prayer life began to reflect the constant connection that we have with that family group text that we celebrate things with, that we complain to when things don't go wrong, that we send silly emojis to to, to to reflect what's happening inside of our heart when we can't show it on our face at the workplace. Yes, sir, I'll get that done, sir. You would not believe what my boss just asked me to do. We've all got those moments of constant connection in our life. See, it's easy for us to do something without ceasing. It really just determines where we want to channel our first response to the things that happen in our life. What if we gave ourselves... Some 10, 20, 30 second buffers that when life happens, whether it's good or bad, before we go and gossip and talk and text about it or find an emoji, see, emoji or a gif to describe what we're feeling, what if we just brought that to God? What if our prayers started being a constant stream of just little text prayers? I need you. Help me with this. This didn't feel right. Are you trying to show me something here? Why did that song move me in that way? Why did I see that person on the side of the street? Why did it catch my attention, God? What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to feel something? Am I supposed to do something? Why am I so offended by my boss right now? Why have I run out of grace? Why am I responding the way that I'm responding? God, help me to do things your way. All right, I'm gonna get back to work. <laughs> what if we just remained in a constant connection that we begin to pray for what's on our mind as it comes on our mind? There's a a promise here, a principle here that I don't want you to miss. As you're praying without ceasing, as you're giving thanks in all circumstances, don't miss this verse 18. It finishes saying, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Just maybe the will of God is not how your prayer gets answered, but it's that you would pray. God's will is not always defined as, which way do I go, left or right? Do I take this job? Do I marry this girl? Do I do these things? Sometimes God's will is just that we would pray and surrender it. So often we're trying to figure out where am I supposed to go in life? What's my purpose? And and what, what Paul, the author of Thessalonians, is saying here is, man, right now when you don't know your big sense of purpose, you know your purpose for this moment in time. God's will for you is just to hit your knees and talk to him about it. Celebrate what's good. Be real about what's bad. Thank him for what he's done. Ask him to help you for what you need. This is God's will for his children, that we recognize him as a a good father, as a dad who works hard to provide for his kids, who's more than enough for every thirst and every need. He's not looking for a polished, reverent relationship. He's looking for authenticity. He's looking for those moments where we can just kind of crawl up in our dad's lap like... My son will do when he's skin his knee. And just find comfort. Just find help. Just find hope. Whatever's on your mind, as it's on your mind, that's what you're supposed to pray about. That's when you're supposed to pray about it. This is God's will for us. This is the access that we have in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Not that he would change the things in our life, but he would change the things that's in our heart. That he'd help us become more like him and that we, like Jabez, would see that just on the other side of our obedience, that just on the other side of our questioning, just on the other side of our uneasiness, if we bring it to prayer and live an obedient life, that we will experience blessing. Because here's how the prayer of Jabez has ended. And God granted what he asked. I'm not here to tell you that you're going to get exactly what you want every time you ask for it. Sometimes the unanswered prayers are the things that cause us to grow the most in our faith. But what we can know is that we have a God who's not a professional God. He's a personal God. The things that matter to you matter to Him. And oftentimes, the amount of stress that we have to face and struggle that we have to endure is directly correlated to the amount of time that we're willing to spend in prayer about it. This is a journey that I'm on with you too. May we become men and women of prayer. May it become our first response. May we learn the art, the discipline, the relational skill of praying without ceasing. And let's sit back and watch God do what only he can do. Can I pray for you? God, we just wanna stop and recognize where our strength fails and everything that we need. We don't have what it takes to get it all done. <laughs> but Lord, for this set of 24 hours, can you help us? Can you guide us? Can you strengthen us? And, church, while every head is bowed, every eye is closed, I would just love to go to battle with you and ask God to help. So, if you got any courage here over these next few minutes, I'd love to offer some specific prayers in your family or a friend or in your own life right now. If there's some kind of physical illness or diagnosis that's terrifying you, we just maybe stick a hand up in the air that I could pray for physical healing in some of your lives right now. Anybody in your family, any kind of physical pain, I see you. God, you tell us that you are our healer. Lord, we would ask that we trust, yes, there is hundreds of thousands of years now of medical science, and we can, we can take Advil when we, when we feel pain, Lord, but Lord, I pray that we believe in you more. Thank you for doctors and nurses and, and pharmacies, Lord. Thank you for all those, Lord, but let us trust in you more than medicine. You are our maker. You know how all the systems work, Lord. You know how to heal things, Lord. Please let these families in this room with the hands that were raised experience Whatever you'd you be willing to put your hand in the air about work-related stress? It's just bogging you down, feeling overwhelmed. And God, I would pray, Lord, that, that our brothers and sisters who are just working, God, it's the daily grind, trying to make a living, Lord, that whether there's decisions that need to be made or responsibilities that have been piling up or bills or whatever, Lord, help us to trust you. Lord, the first thing you did with humans was gave an Adam a job in the Garden of Eden to name the animals. The way we work is can, can be a source of worship. So help us to see the tasks that are coming our way as an opportunity to faithfully represent you well with diligence and stewardship and let us do it for your glory. Could I uh, pray for some family needs, some tensions at home, some broken relationships, some drama, some unforgiveness? I see you. God, there's just stuff that's at home, whether it's parenting or being parented, Lord, there's there's so many things that are, that can happen inside the home that don't always seem as urgent as what's happening at work or in the bank account, Lord, but it's so much more important. Help us to parent, help us to uh, be a good spouse, help us to be good children, good siblings, Lord, and understanding that, Lord, the family unit matters. And then here, Lord, I really believe the family unit is under attack in our nation right now, Lord, and we need the families of believers to stand strong and be more bonded and unified than ever before. Please strengthen the families, those that raise their hands here. They're asking for help. In your name we pray. Amen.